Welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and I'm excited to talk to three guests today. Today, I get to talk with the co-founders of a Canadian music collective, Red Leaf Piano Works. Their founders are Martha Hill Duncan, Susan Grasdale, and Beverly Porter. And Rebecca Maxner was invited to join later on. Red Leaf Piano Works is a female-founded self-publishing collective of award-winning composers who share a passion for creating new repertoire for today's students. They have a diverse collection of piano music with a variety of composers from across Canada, the US, and the UK. And their music includes varying styles, genres, and levels, ranging from pre-readers to advanced piano music. Welcome, Martha, Susan, and Rebecca. It's so good to be speaking with you today. How are you all doing? Thanks for having us. Wonderful. Thank you. Great to be here. So before we get started, do you mind just introducing yourself so that our audience can connect a voice with a name? And then also give us a brief background on how you became a pianist and then a piano composer. So if you don't mind, Martha, could we start with you? Okay. Well, I'm a transplanted Texan who married a Canadian. So I I came a little late to this beautiful country, but I started out taking a lesson with a friend when I was about uh, seven, seven years old. And the big sister sat me down at this beautiful grand piano in their living room and, and, you know, traced my little fingers and showed me how to put them together. And I went home. I just was so thrilled. And I said to my family, that's it. I got to learn how to play the piano. And we had, there were five kids in the family, not a lot of money. My older siblings still say, spoiled, spoiled, spoiled. They did get a piano. And uh, I always tell the story about the piano arriving in the driveway and my mother climbing up on the, the cart that was carrying the piano up to the house and sitting down and playing like a professional. And I had no idea that my mother knew how to play the piano. <laughs> And she played by ear and had grown up in the country. And she, you know, it was all honky-tonk kind of Texas religious music. But that was the beginning. And then, of course, I took lessons. I took from a really fantastic teacher who gave me a a pencil and a a piece of manuscript paper and said, if you're not going to follow the rules, go home and write your own music. And uh, (laughs) she got me started because I was a rebel. So grateful for all those early connections. Yeah, that's great. And Susan, what about you? Well, I have a completely different start in that I started composing music before I started taking piano lessons. For me, it's it's a very, very strong urge to create, just being very creative. And that also goes with art. I love doing art. I love doing drawings. It's very big, big part of me. So um, I did study piano. I got my ARCT. I do teach, but I'm not a performer because I did start learning piano quite late in life but the urge to create something is very strong within me and it's always been there so as I said I started writing music before I started taking piano lessons it's in my head it's in my soul and just kind of I have to kind of control it a little bit sometimes so <laughs> so I don't go way back like Martha does I certainly started piano in my 30s but since then I've been completely hooked to music and uh, teaching and everything so the only performing I do is when we have a trade show and I have to pre- get up and perform um, some of the music that we're presenting in the presentation. So that's it. Wonderful. That's great. And Rebecca? My story is a little more similar to Martha because uh, I'm from a large family. And when I was a toddler, some of my siblings were in their teens and they were already playing Haydn sonatas and Chopin nocturnes. And they were practicing these beautiful pieces on the piano and I heard them and it just, it hooked me. And so I would toddle up to the piano and improvise and people would say, oh my goodness, it sounds like she's really playing something. So I was improvising before I even took lessons. And actually my sister became my first 
piano teacher. She came to me and said, do you want to take piano lessons? And I was like, yes. And so we had this little bond as as, uh, sisters for 10 years before I went on to other teachers. And she was the one who introduced me to the movie Amadeus. And and we were just doing music all the time. And so it was kind of like um, a no-brainer for me. I just, from a very young age, wanted to be a professional composer. And so I I leaned more towards being a composer than a performer. But I have performed, you know, I I used to play for church and and stuff. I, I can be a performing musician, but I really do. I'm kind of an introvert. I really like just being in my own little musical world at my piano at night when an idea strikes me and I just kind of run with it. And Paul just takes the cats away and like <laughs> me in the room. And he's just, you know, he gives me my space like that. It's wonderful. So that's kind of where I got my start. That's great. I love hearing that. I always love asking that question because each musician has a unique path to how they got to where they are today. It's just a, a great reminder that that there's not one right path to take to becoming a musician. Well, can you tell us when Redleaf was founded and how it came about? So what was the impetus for starting this sort of self-publishing collective? Well, I was living in Kingston. I had just come here from the States with my husband. I had two small children. I had been in Toronto for five years before that, and we'd gone to California. My husband is an academic, so we were chasing jobs across North America. So we wound up in Kingston. It's a small city. It's full of musicians. But because I wasn't associated with the university and I hadn't met a lot of people, I was writing in this little quiet, you know, cocoon of my own. I felt so lonely and the internet was just getting started. You know, you were starting to hear about email and that kind of thing. I'm dating myself here. But then what happened is I became a member of Orimpta and I met Beverly Porter, who was also writing in her little quiet space. And, you know, we'd keep each other up to date on what was going on. If there was a competition in Toronto that we could, you know, submit stuff to or if there was an opportunity for composers or piano teacher, piano writing and that kind of thing. And it, one day it hit me, this is such a lonely life, this composing, and it makes me so discouraged. And I approached her, I said, can I take you out for brunch? And unfortunately, the cafe that we had our brunch is gone now. But every time I'd pass it, I'd say, that was the place where it all started. But we went out for a brunch and I said to her, I'm so lonely, I need support. Why don't we get together and provide each other you know, encouragement, some critiquing of each other's works, playing for one another. And that's all I had. It was just the two of us and supporting each other within the community of Kingston. And then in a couple of days, she called me back and said, why don't we get together and go to Summer Sizzle? And you'll know Summer Sizzle because it's put on by CNCM and Deb Wanless. And I said, okay, I'll go to Summer Sizzle with you. So we drove to some small town in southeastern Ontario, I can't remember, and uh she introduced me to Susan Grisdale. And so Beverly Porter really had the vision of community. I just had the vision of, I need some help. The minute we met Susan, she had all this uh, imagination. You know, she had the great mind to be able to see what could come of it. That was the start. And it was just, it was just crazy from there. We just really encouraged one another. And, you know, Susan, you can take over. We had hundreds of ideas about what we would call ourselves and all that, but I'll let you go from there, Susan. Well, we did have this idea of putting together sort of a group. And we did think about the idea of it being a collective right from the the get-go. And I got right into trying to create the logo, the red leaf. And I have uh, probably about 50 different leaves (laughs) leaves. <laughs> I've held on to them. They were all red. Um, I guess it took us a short time to come up with Red Leaf Piano Works. We had other names as well, but I came up with the leaf and uh, it just kind of ballooned out of there. The ideas came pretty quickly from me and Bev and Martha. And then shortly after that, Martha said, you know what? I think Martha, you were adjudicating 
in the East Coast. You met Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. that. Yeah. So you suggested inviting Rebecca. And mm-hmm. uh, we thought, oh, well, that's great. There'll be more of us. So, yes, it, it kind of balloons from there. Yeah. And and Rebecca, you can interested in hearing your side of that story, Martha. I'm interested in hearing what what how that happened for you, how the how we met. Well, you know, teachers are so proud of the people they know who are creating. If you're a piano teacher and you're teaching music, you are so impressed with your friends who are composing or who are creating things because you know you love to play, but you're not you don't have that creative you know impetus or whatever in your mind. And so I gave a talk. I was examining for RCM, and I think in Annapolis, maybe. I think it was in Wolfville. Wolfville, Wolfville. And so I gave a talk about my music and composing, and I I think I had a piece on the RCM list at that time. And this woman came up to me, and I can't remember her name, but she said, you have to meet Rebecca Maxner. And I said, Rebecca Maxner of Blue Train? (laughs) <laughs> and she said, yes, Rebecca Maxner of Blue Train. And I got, I said the title right, right, right Rebecca? Yeah, so, yeah. That's yeah. the one that I think CNCM published mm-hmm. in their in their book, yeah. Yeah, and just as a creative person and a musical person, sometimes you see a piece and it can be very small and very, um, you know, low level, but it has this creative spark to it that just, and I said, yeah, I have to meet this Rebecca Maxner. So my husband and I managed to drive out to Hansforth during that quick time that I I was in Nova Scotia and I burst in upon her with a brand new baby and I'll, I'll let you take it from there Rebecca. <laughs> yeah my do- my youngest was two weeks old when Martha came in and uh, I was thrilled to meet you know a composer and when you are a composer and your music hasn't been published yet and you're barely even confident enough to ask your own students to learn your pieces because that's where I was at the time I was composing these little pieces wondering if anybody would like them and wondering if they were even worthy of being educated educational pieces, because educational pieces, you know, there are certain really specific things that you can and cannot do with an educational piece. So that's when Martha came on the scene and I I had my new little born baby and she came in and it was just really affirmative that, wow, you know, even if I only have one piece out there, someone has noticed and someone has recommended me and uh, it made me feel really great as a composer, like maybe I can do this. And uh, it took me a couple of years after that before I was able to publish anything because my daughter was very young and I was kind of focusing on teaching piano and taking care of my family. But that was amazing for me to be invited to, to join this group. That was around 2009, something like that? Clara was born in 2008. And I published my first book, Old MacDonald Had the Blues in 2010. It was two years later. Right. And I remember encountering Martha's pieces and Rebecca's pieces when I was a very early teacher. I think I was 15 years old when I started teaching, which is kind of wild to me because who trusts, uh, you know, their, their child's piano lessons with a 15 year old. But anyway, I'm very grateful for those early years. And then when I was taking lessons with Allison Weem after I had already moved to Ontario and she saw this sort of passion that I had for teaching. And and she said, you have to, you know, teach Susan's works. And so she said, I'll have some for you tomorrow. And so I come to go her office to go pick them up. And there's just this stack of music. (laughs) And so I took it home and I played through and I was like, this is fantastic. And so I was familiar with your works. I remember teaching, I think I I believe it was Old MacDonald had the blues, Rebecca, like when I was an early, early teacher. And of course, Blue Train. I remember that one as well. That's great. That's, That's so fantastic to hear. 
Thanks. So when you're growing this composers collective, how do you make those decisions on who to add, how fast to grow at kind of what rate you're printing the music? I'd imagine there's a lot of factors that you have to consider as a group. I can give my perspective on that. We are all self-published composers. So as a group, we don't publish any other person's work but our own. As a collective, we make a unanimous decision on who joins the collective. And Martha, you can take it from there. In the early days, we weren't as fussy, Rebecca. We, you know, (laughs) I'm just teasing. But you know, in the early days, when you're just starting out, you're looking for like-minded people. And it just so happened, we were so lucky that we brought in people who had different compositional voices and who had a different approach. We didn't want to clone ourselves. We really wanted unique members and we wanted to spread the joy geographically. We didn't want everybody to be from Ontario. So in those early days, we were looking for people to recommend. I remember Janet Geek, somebody approached us at a conference. It was Peggy Loire, I think, and said, you've got to see Janet Geek's music. So Mm -hmm. lots of times we would be told about composers. I think the funniest composer that we brought on, we were all women for a long time. I think we were up to maybe eight or something. And my colleague, Dr. John Birch from Queen's University, Mm -hmm. he called me one day and said, "Uh, I'd like to take you out for lunch. It's all about going out for lunch in Kingston. And so he (laughs) took me out for lunch and he said, okay, listen, I've heard about this Red Leaf Piano Works and I think you need to ask me because I don't think it's fair to just have women in this organization. (laughs) I said, well, I'll discuss it with my colleagues and see. And of course, he's a fantastic composer. And after that male composer, we also asked Peter Rudzik out of Calgary, who's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And the other way we found uh, Teresa Rickert was uh, out of BC was Bev Porter has this incredible memory and she is older. She's been around a while, but she knows what's going on. She's on the internet you know, she remembers everybody. And she called us one day and said, we need to look at this Teresa Rickert out of BC. She's doing some amazing things. And then our, our UK composer, June Armstrong, Bev introduced us to her too. And she was in Canada for a visit and we asked her to Kingston so we could meet her uh, out of uh, the UK. And so this is the way we've been bringing people in. It's not that we're necessarily looking, but when somebody comes up. And also we have submission process and we have brought in some composers through the submission process. Irene Boros out of BC. Joanne Bender, we begged for her to come because we love her. (laughs) And she finally, she finally succumbed to our insistence that she join us. But uh, now that we get submissions and we have to decide, you know, in now, if I was uh, asking to come to Redleaf as a composer back then, I might not have been taken on because, <laughs> of course, the more competent you become, the more enthusiastic and more initiative you take, you know, that's better for our group because we're all volunteers and nobody's paying anybody. So yep. we use multiple talents from each of the composers. Mm-hmm. I think an important point as well when we bring on composers is that we are collective and the decision has to be unanimous. And I think that is a really important thing to keep us together as a collective and working as a group. Yeah. And it's such a... Whenever we make a new decision, we always put out the questions and then there's a a bit of a discussion. And so I think the discussion brings out really interesting points because we all have really different perspectives. And so that's what I really like about it, that there's always a conversation going on whenever there's a new decision being made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the model that you guys are bringing because it's something so unique. It's not something that you often see. Usually there's a publishing house, right? And then certain 
certain composers get brought on and they get paid royalties. But the fact that everyone in the collective is self-published and then you also do some collections together. Is that correct? I mean, I know I, I use the Saplings collection. I love that one. It's some of, you know, my students, their favorite festival pieces often come from that collection. So could you tell us about some of those group projects that you guys take on? Uh, okay. Sprouts was the beginning one, then Saplings and Branches. And Branches has just come out. We've just finished editing it and putting it out there. And the reason we did this is because some of us are better known than others. And it didn't feel fair that we would go to trade shows and, you know, push our music. We want to show everybody. We're trying to get everybody out there because you can't have a collective if only a couple of people are shining. You want everybody to shine and be able to show their music. And so the anthology was a way of getting everybody in the same book. And if if a teacher or a student bought the book, they were able to get a glimpse of all 13 composers right away. Mm-hmm. And that's been fantastic. We are feeling really excited because we've just launched the branches one at the Ormta convention in Kingston recently. Yeah, mm-hmm. And you guys also had, with the launch of the new RCM syllabus, a lot of Redleaf composers were included. Could you tell us more about that and what composers were represented and, and where can they find their music? I think all the composers are represented except for two, and we're hoping next time around they will be in, involved. Mm-hmm. So yes, we have Redleaf composers at all levels of the syllabus, I think. And we do have a list of of all the pieces included in the syllabus. It's on our website. I think it's under the catalog tab. And I think, Rebecca, also on your website, you have a list of all of the red leaf works that are in the syllabus. So it's actually quite a few. That's yeah, great. I did a blog post on this. It's my most popular blog post of the entire oh, okay. year. I get so many hits and there's a free printable on uh, the Red Leaf site as well as on my site. On the Absolutely. Printable. So I will link that in the show notes. That's great. And I remember when you released that blog post and I was download immediately <laughs> because that's a really helpful guide for not just RCM exams, but also Conservatory Canada, Northern Lights exams, just to know that students can use them and they've been graded and, and looked over. So that's wonderful. What do you think are some specific challenges that are facing the publishing world right now in in music publishing? Like, has COVID had an impact on the industry? And how can we as music lovers and music teachers support your collective so that you can continue to put out, you know, wonderful musical works? Well, I think one of the, the big problems for us is that once you get online teaching, which we were forced to do with the COVID, all of a sudden the hardcover piece of music ceases to be so important. So of course, sales plummeted for everybody. Even my choir, when we were doing online choiring, you couldn't even see the people. So there was a lot of, you know, printable PDFs going around. And of course, we love the downloaded PDFs. And of course, all of us are doing that. We want to make sure that our hardcover books get in every student's hands. So that's been a real challenge. And uh, also, we were planning on doing a big launch of our American composer, Ann Rossi, at the MTNA conference in Minnesota. Minnesota, I think it was last year, 2021. And uh, they closed it down right before it, it went. And so I remember that. Amazing. Yeah. So disappointing. Yeah. I think people have really uh, done a great job of figuring out how to use the internet and to use uh, online teaching through Zoom and different platforms. But, you know, being in person, handing that piece of music, writing on a pencil with a pencil, we're missing out on that and also on the sales. And it's not just us, it's everybody. Yeah. It's really hit the industry hard, I think, for music especially. And also, 
just to say my choir, you know, all these choral composers, mm -hmm. they haven't been able to get their music out. They haven't had in-person performances. It's, uh, it's not just, you know, piano teachers and, you know, it's live music everywhere. And People, you know, at least on the internet, you're seeing a lot of people having to change their way of earning a living, where they would be going and giving a presentation, or they'd be giving a master class, they'd be paid travel and accommodations and per diem and all that, and that's part of their livelihood as a musician. Now they're stuck to a Zoom, you know, presentation where they get paid a minimal amount for the hour that they're doing the Zoom. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a totally different uh, ball game. I think. Absolutely, and I mean, even myself, I was booked for two years to speak at the University of Michigan. And it was going to be my first paid, you know, travel. They're going to pay me to speak, they pay for my hotel, all this. I was so excited because, of course, I'd been doing workshops for, you know, $70, $100, and I was working my way up. And um, I was so pumped to be, you know, finally, oh, I get to do my first. And then they closed the border, you know. And so I I absolutely sympathize with that. And, and you're right. It's we've had to get really creative at making money. Luckily, musicians tend to be really good at that. At being really creative. I think but, through COVID yeah. that some musicians have had more maneuverability than some of the bigger organizations like mm -hmm. Alfred Piano shut down their piano department entirely. And so they're only promoting books that they've already produced. They're not producing any more piano books. Mm -hmm. And so for me as one, I started an e-sheet club. So going to the downloadable PDF format, and I haven't published a hardcover book since COVID started. Right. Right. So as a self-published composer, we do have that ability to quickly pivot if we need to, mm -hmm. to a different format. And I think all of us have been trying a little harder to get our books out there in ebook format. I think our, our digital downloads have really increased all across Red Leaf Composers in the last two years. So. Mm -hmm. For teachers who want to be supporting that and want to be sort of transitioning to digital downloads just because they were teaching online and things like that, does Redleaf offer options for studio licensing? Yes. I think that we have our anthologies available in PDF eBooks, right, uh, Susan? Yeah, the anthologies are, and each composer on their own website has all the downloads available uh, personally. So if you if you go to mine, you can filter by grade and difficulty, and you can get hard copy or studio license or, mm -hmm. or uh, you know the an e piece. And I think everybody else is doing the same thing. I think they're very affordable. I mean, we all know when you want that piece of music, you want that piece of music. Being you know, I want it now. I, I wanted it yesterday. So. <laughs> You know, for a long time, I think we really suffered about that because we love our books. We love our covers. You know, there's something about the feel of a book and opening up on your piano. It's just there's nothing like it. But the truth is, you know, things move so fast. Lessons are so quick. You can't let a kid go for two weeks not having their book because the parents can't get to the store. It's just instant demand. So we have to keep up with that. And all I think we ask from teachers is that they make their students understand that this is a product. It's created by somebody. It's not something that you copy over and over again and share. It's something you purchase. So maybe by the teacher buying the expensive book, you know, it's 20 bucks or whatever, then the teacher can say, look, you can go to Rebecca's website or Susan's website and download the piece that we're interested in. You don't have to buy the whole book. So I think teaching responsibility to yeah. the students is huge. And maybe Rebecca and Susan have a feeling about that too. In terms of, of promotion, I think certainly having students perform any Red Leaf piece in 
in uh, festivals, music festivals, recitals, and endorsements from the teacher, especially on things like uh, social media and Facebook. That's very powerful and very supportive of, I imagine, any composer's works. So that's when that happens, we're all sharing it to each other. Say, look, look what so-and-so said. It's very exciting. So that's very helpful. I'm always thrilled when I adjudicate a music festival and I see our names pop up. I'm always very thrilled. And I'm very proud then to tell the audience and the parents and the teachers and students, I know this person personally. It really makes connections. I love our group for that reason, that it has really connected these composers together and around the world now. And you are able to, through your own connection, bring the students and the parents and the teachers into that connection too. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say there are so many talented young composers coming about in Canada. I could list you a name that have sent me their works and some of them are just getting started. Some of them are a little bit deeper into it. You know, if I had enough energy, I'd say, come, 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 you know, because we're a volunteer organization, we have a limited amount of effort that we can put into it and time we can put into it. There are a lot of really worthwhile composers out there, young composers. So I think for all of their benefits, explore new music. Don't be afraid of a new name. Mm-hmm. You know, do some investigation. Where did they come from? How did they come about? You know, maybe I'll write them an email and ask them what they were thinking when they wrote this piece. All of those things are, are what encourage us to be continuing to create and want to share our music with others. And courage. Composers need courage, you know, because share our music with others. And courage. Composers need courage, you know, because next door in your office. And mm-hmm. uh, so that that's, a, I think, everybody's experiencing the same thing that's out there trying to make a, a name for themselves. Absolutely. And I liked that, Rebecca, you had mentioned that you love saying, oh, I know this composer. When you see the students playing that at a music festival, I do the same thing. And I often encourage students, like, record your piece and send it to the composer who is alive right now, because we can get their feedback and we can share that joy with other people. And I just think it's so special when students students get to do that. I love getting those emails of the the video performance. And I just, oh, it's just so fun. So fun to see your music actually being learned by somebody. Because sometimes I sell a book and I don't make the connection that this is actually going to be played and learned. And then when, when I get the video, it makes it so much more real that my music is out there. Someone's actually practicing it. It's something I, it just makes me feel happy. Absolutely. And it's that boost of endorphins that, you you know, then you're inspired to continue to keep writing, right? Because you see that it's making a difference. I love that. That's so great. Do you all find it tricky to balance composing with teaching with, you know, all of the many other musical things that you're doing? Or um, do you find that they sort of feed into each other? I think there's a different combination that each composer has in terms of the teaching. Um, I'm semi-retired, so I don't teach as much anymore. Some of them have a lot of students, 50 students a week. So I think we're all our balance is different. So yes, it's a challenge. But I think juggling all those things is also part of the music business. Mm-hmm. I think that we have to be sort of keep our, our foot in each camp, as it were. And for Red Leaves, uh, unfortunately, Martha's had the brunt of the work for in terms of the publishing because our hard copy music is in her house. (laughs) So when the the order's come in for Redleaf, it's all been up to Martha and it's just been too much of a load. Maybe Martha, you could go on to discuss our next venture for international. So up until now, Martha is the distributor for Redleaf Piano Works, which actually I adore because 
every time I get an order, I am, you know, there's an affirmation there. We're doing the right thing. So selfishly, I get the orders and, you know, that feels like, okay, we've made a, we've made a name We're we're out there, we're doing our thing. And uh, so I think the other composers have missed out a little bit, but I'm sure they haven't missed out on, you know, saying to my husband, the post office is going to close at three o'clock. You need to get the books out. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, at Kingston's small, and I'm not far from the post office. It has worked out really well in Canada. It's it's harder to get our music into the U.S. because lots of times I'll get pictures of the packages when they arrive in the U.S. And I don't know who's been digging through those packages, but yeah. lots of times the music is damaged, and that's a whole other ballgame. So we are actually, as of yesterday, launching a new distribution situation with 80 Days Publishing, a partnership with Christopher Norton. Um, Everybody will know Christopher Norton, his colleague out of Edinburgh, Scotland, Andrew Jones. And they have figured out a way to use a print-on-demand global platform. to. So if if somebody orders a book in Kansas yesterday, that book will be printed in Kansas, mailed in Kansas, and hopefully it won't arrive damaged. (laughs) And the shipping will be affordable. Or if somebody wants to buy it in Australia, they don't have to, you know, call Redleaf and say, could you please send that book by, you know, Susan Grisdale to me in Australia and the shipping would cost, she could buy 10 books for the cost of shipping. So we are so hopeful about that because with the, you know, the World Wide Web, everybody knows about our music, but not everybody can get our music. And that's, that's been for me the big deal. And I'm hoping that this will be really exciting. That's great. And yeah, I, my publisher, Deborah Wanless Music, has also partnered with 80 Days. And so my book is available through them as well, or will be available if it's not at the moment. And so that's really great because I love that model. And then it's also stimulating the local economy because it's getting printed there and it's getting mailed there. And so I think that's, it's just such a great model. It's very adaptable to, I think, to the time that we're in. Yeah. So, and and thank goodness there are people who are smart enough and clever enough to figure out how to do that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's great. So what are some projects that each of you are working on right now? Can you let us in what's coming up for Red Leaf and, and what you're working on? I'll start. I just recently, I guess maybe in 2021, put out a series of dance books, three dance books, um, more at the advanced level. So for me, it's a bit of a, a quiet year for piano. I've just recently put out some violin and piano works, which have done well. And I have this um, octatonic string trio that's been sitting in my to-do list for about 10 years now. So I'm thinking I really need to spend some time on it this year. So I might be branching away from piano a little bit, but I also want to go back and into my art and my drawings and I'm thinking of putting somehow putting them together and putting them out there so little drawings line drawings of dance so that's sort of on my to-do list right now for me I'm working on on uh, putting out a brand new e-sheet every month, an unpublished, a previously unpublished e-sheet. So when COVID hit, I started my Max Music Piano e-sheet club and teachers can join for a very low price. I wanted to keep the price really low because I wanted to reach as many teachers as possible. So that keeps me on my toes. Every month I have to have a brand new piece published, edited, a video showing how to play it. Like it's, there's quite a production and then downloadable. Like we have all these this, we have a all the step, steps. <laughs> steps and we have to check the boxes. Um, but besides that, I've been really um, doing a little bit more artistic searching in my piano playing on a 
collection that I'm trying to publish called Shades of Blue. And when you ever, in music, when you think of the, the word blue, you think of blues, but this isn't quite that. What I'm aiming for in this collection is a fusion between Impressionism and jazz. Mm. And, and I'm writing it basically in memory of my mother. Her favorite color was blue. And it's a collection of pieces with me kind of dealing with, you know, my mom and I were best friends, but in the fallout after my parents both passed away and a very difficult estate situation with my family, just kind of dealing with the dynamics in my whole entire family. And so to me, writing this book is a little bit of music therapy. And so that's kind of where my soul is right now. That's my artistic project. And for me, I have a couple of projects going on. I have a close, uh, my collaborator that I've written a lot of art song and youth opera with Janet Windler Ryan out of Kitchener Waterloo. She lost her grandson uh, recently and she wrote a lot of poetry and we have a plan to write a songbook called Jackson's Songbook. Uh, And I'm trying to get my courage up because I'm going to have to be really uh, emotionally, you know, with it to be able to do it. But I think it's going to be beautiful and I can't wait to get started on it. And the piano pieces that I'm working on right now are in collaboration with my husband, who's an astrophysicist. They're all about the universe. And so it's going to be from beginner to advanced. And some of the titles are quasi-stellar, redshift. I'm pretty excited about that. And once I enter that world of that sound, if, if you think of a sound out of the mm-hmm. Earth's atmosphere, it's like anything goes. It's just so exciting to be in that kind of tonal realm. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And of course, Susan's going to do all of the uh, illustrations. <laughs> That's fantastic. That sounds like an amazing project. Everything sounds so great. I'm looking forward to seeing those come out. Well, it's been a real pleasure getting to chat with the three of you. We're going to wrap up with a few rapid fire questions. No wrong answers. Just go with your gut. And then I think let's go in the order of just, I'm just going to go on my screen, Martha, Susan, Rebecca, if that works. What is a favorite piece or song to perform? Oh, I love Dr. Gratisad Pranasam by Debussy. That's one of my favorite pieces to perform. And also, of course, I I am a Debussy crazy person. And (laughs) I could go on, but okay, I'll stop there. Hey, for me, uh, because I'm not a performer, I think of my own music. And for me, my favorite dance piece is Wayward Waltz. For me right now, I'm learning Haydn Sonata in E. So I go to my piano and it's it's got such beautiful clarity of tone. Yeah. And I just, oh, it's just so beautiful. And I love all those scales and I love the E major key. And I'm just loving that one right now. It's a very joyful sonata. I, that's what I always think of. That's great. What is the best musical or career advice that you can pass on to up and coming musicians? Okay, that's an easy one, and it's the hardest one. It's to do it every day, no matter how hard it is, no matter what else you're doing, if you're having to take care of kids, if you're having to worry about your day job. You know, most composers don't work full-time. It's always something on the side. I would just say do it every day because you don't know maybe where you're going to wind up, but unless you put in the time, you're not going to hone those skills. You're not going to develop your voice. And so that's my big advice. Yeah. My, sorry. My advice is always believe in yourself, even if you don't. <laughs> uh, always. My best advice is to find the time of day when your creativity kind of comes to life. Mm. For me, I have discovered that 
right before bed, the hour right before bed is when I can be the most creative. So but that might be different for everybody. So every artist should find that for themselves and then try to do it every day like Martha says. That's great advice. And I had a music teacher in high school and she used to say that creativity is a muscle and you have to work it. And that was her way of saying like practice every day. (laughs) What are you listening to right now? Well, there are two things I'm listening to right now. My husband, who I said is a scientist, has decided in his retirement that he really is a rock and roll guy who plays guitar <laughs> and sings in a band. Right now, he's singing with a group of people in similar situation as he, and they're playing lots of Beatles. They're doing lots of Tom Paxton, and I'm from Texas originally, so I am throwing out all these titles for pieces for music that I grew up with, progressive country, and it's so completely opposite the classical thing. But uh, so I am listening to a lot of that because he's, you know, so keen and uh, newfound talent of his. And also I'm listening to a lot of choral music because I'm trying to get my choir, She Sings, back on track this fall. My answer to that's really quite different. I'm listening to my inner voice. I have to keep every day check in with that because it changes where I'm going all the time. And I find if I listen to a lot of music out there, I don't listen to what's going on inside because I'm in between projects. I'm listening very carefully. Where do I want to go next? So listening to my inner voice, best way I can put it. That's fantastic. Yeah. The most recent thing I Googled was what is a breakdown? And so I discovered that a breakdown is when different instruments all take turns, like Mm -hmm. with uh, banjo music. So I was listening to the Bonnie and Clive chase car chase banjo music scene because there's a breakdown in there. And I was like, well, that's cool. So normally, though, I would listen to music that I'm going to be teaching to my piano students at this time of year. This is September. Normally, I'm listening to what is this next piece all about? So that's great. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I will have links to everything we've talked about, links to Red Leaf, links to all of your website and your wonderful music. And I really encourage people, if they have not encountered Red Leaf Piano Works and you are a piano teacher or a pianist yourself, you really do need to check it out because their music is fantastic. Thank you all for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much, Olivia. Great to meet you, Olivia. Great to meet you all. Thank you to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra for sponsoring this podcast. Make sure you head over to saskatoonsymphony.org to purchase tickets for upcoming shows. And if you don't live in the Saskatoon area, you can watch these shows via concert stream by following the link at the top of the website. I'm your host, Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear, and you can find me at OA Music Studios on socials. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.